Welcome to this message from City Bible Church in Portland, Oregon. City Bible Church is a vibrant community of people with one common desire to experience God, enjoy people, and celebrate life. We're talking about the word alive, reviving our spiritual passions. We're looking at a fourfold purpose for this particular series. In this series, I'm just simply wanting to press you and me toward the Lord, toward God, toward His presence, toward prayer, toward Holy Spirit activity in our lives. Everyone that comes to our campuses are on different levels of spiritual journey. Some people are at the beginning steps of believing or perceiving God and recognizing the work of God on their life, calling on the name of the Lord. Some are just starting with that right now, just just beginning to move down that path of knowing the Lord Jesus Christ, which is an awesome thing. Some people have been on the path for a while, and they've been uh, water baptized, maybe filled with the Holy Spirit, maybe a part of the church for a while, and uh, they're learning about prayer and the Word and how to walk with the Holy Spirit and how to really understand the principles of just spiritual growth and Christian growth. How do you grow in God? What do you do? Some people have been around for a long time. They've been in church and in Christ for decades. Some of you have been walking with the Lord for 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, 90, 100 years. Who knows? All of us are on a journey of growth. We're trying to find that place where we can just really love God and grow in the Word and understand prayer and the things of the Spirit and to understand how we are to encounter God. All of us should be on that journey, and that's what I want to encourage you. Some people on that journey get off to a left foot. Some people take a detour. Some people find themselves in a kind of a spiritual swamp, so to speak. Some people find themselves in a wilderness or a dry place. Some people find themselves in an undisciplined place. Life gets to them. They have no way to really find roots in their prayer or their spiritual life. Life gets to them. The enemy takes advantage of them during those times. Maybe some crisis hits their lives or some discouraging episodes that just keep continuing to go on and they start losing grip on the things of God. They lose grip on what the Lord's doing in their life and they start allowing that stronghold in their mind of unbelief or discouragement or whatever it might be that pushes them outside of really going any deeper in God and they stalemate. And they get out to kind of a side trip over here and start uh, feeling that uh, sense of stagnation, that sense of uh, I'm, I'm really moving in circles. I'm not moving any direction. Well, wherever you are in your journey, this is what we want to see happen. Alive, this is our focus. Four things. Experience a profound personal encounter with God. I want you to experience a profound personal, a personal encounter with God. I want you to experience God's power in your life in supernatural proportions. More than you've ever had. Different than you've ever had. Wherever you are on your journey, you can do more. You can do a little bit more. That is, you can get more of God's grace, more of God's presence, more of God's spirit. I want you to experience a fresh encounter with the Holy Spirit that creates, hopefully, and this is what I'm uh, trying to lead you into as a pastor, uh, hunger for God, creating some hunger for God in your life. Sometimes it just 
well, we just need to be reminded. We're, we're not, you know, bad people, so to speak, or rebellious, and we're not trying to do anything wrong. We just don't have any hunger for God. Sometimes it just takes a pastor or a friend or the Holy Spirit to come along and say, hey, where's your hunger level? Where's your passion level? What are you doing to follow me right now? Why don't you press in to what I want to do in your life right now? We just need to be reminded. What's your hunger level? What's your appetite for God? Experiencing God breathing or breaking all of our limitations that hold us back. Any limitation that we have, excess baggage in our life, spiritually, mental limitation, uh, experiences that we can't seem to uh, walk past or get out of, limitations that get over our life. Some of us have a mental block about this book right here. We don't think that we can understand it, so we don't read it. Or we have kind of a spiritual block about God. We're not sure even if we pray, and even if we press, will we really understand God? That God is so far out there, or so far different than I am, or maybe he's built for other people and he seems to encounter other people. But I don't know if I can really know God the way I hear other people talk about God. We have a blockage. We have some baggage there. I want to get rid of that baggage. Every one of you can know God in a profound personal way. You can experience God in a profound personal way. Every one of you can hear the voice of the Holy Spirit move in the gifts of the Spirit. Every one of you can be a person that understands prayer, spiritual warfare, how to get a hold of God in a crisis, help lead someone to Christ, pray for healing. You can move in the gifts of the Holy Spirit because that's what you're born to do. You're born to do these things and you're born to understand God. You can go as deep in God as you want to go. There should be no comparison to other people as to what God wants to do in your life. He can do profound found amazing things in your life. Do not write yourself off. Do not write yourself off as a carnal person or a person that can't know God, can't understand God, can't go deep in God. I'm really not, quote, the spiritual type. Don't write yourself off so, so quickly when it comes to that. Don't say to yourself, I'm just not that type. Or I just have so many things in me, I'm not sure the Holy Spirit can get through all my stuff because, you know, i got a lot of issues. Hey, everyone has issues. The Holy Spirit's bigger than your issues. God loves you the way you are, and he's going to help you change. And you have to have a spirit of faith and a vision to believe that God wants to encounter you in such a profound way that you will change. Your thinking will change. Your heart will change. Your passions will change. Your desires will change. You won't just be fighting sin. You'll be running hard after God. And sin will just fall off. You won't be worried so much about the future. You'll just put it in the hands of God. And before you know it, your future starts unfolding because God really is in charge. And all of your worry cannot add one cubit, not one inch, not one thing to your future. You're not in control anyway. So when you relax, start pressing into God, things start unfolding more easily because you don't get in the way. You don't have a lot of stuff that God has to keep removing because you keep trying to do it your way. You just give it to the Lord. Can I hear an amen? amen. We want to experience God. I want you to turn in your Bibles to the Second Chronicles. Second Chronicles, if you would find it, Old Testament. Second Chronicles. And I'd like you to find chapter 14. Revive my heart, O oh God. Everyone say, revive my heart. Come on, talk to me. Revive my heart. All right, we're talking about King Asa today. A heart that was awakened to seek the Lord. King Asa's heart 
was awakened to seek the Lord. I want you to look at Second Chronicles chapter 14, and I want you to follow with me. We're looking at the eight, well, not just the eight kings. We're actually adding a few more in, such as Ezra, Nehemiah, and Zerubbabel. But we're looking at some of the uh, great kings of Judah. Remember, the kings of Judah were the uh, kings that actually had revival times. There's only eight of them in all the 19 of Judah. And remember, the 19 kings of Israel... The house split into Israel, Judah in the Old Testament. The 19 kings of Israel all did evil. Not one of them walked with the Lord. Not one of them sought the ways of God. They did evil. In the 19 kings of Judah, eight of them stepped out. Everyone say stepped out. I want you to be one of the eight. I want you to be the kings of Judah. I want you to do what these men did. Because the same principles that work with these eight kings work with you. They will revive you. They will direct you. They will do something in your life. Every one of these eight kings moved into the same pattern as the other kings. Every one of them that found a reviving or an alive revival time in their life is they did the same things. There's a pattern over and over again in Second Chronicles. Chapter 14 is one of them. King Asa, if you mark your Bible, follow with me. I'm going to read some scripture now, all right? Second Chronicles chapter 14 and verse 1. So Abijah rested with his fathers, that's Asa's father. They buried him in the city of David. Then Asa, his son, reigned in his place. In his days, the land was quiet for 10 years. I want you to mark a few key phrases now if you mark your Bible. Verse 2, Asa, Mark, did what was good, what was right. In the eyes of the Lord. Now we're talking about you coming alive in God. You having a reviving experience in your life. You, if you would, follow in the steps of Asa. I guarantee you, I promise you, based on the word of God, something would go on in your life. But you need to read these scriptures and and personalize them as I read. He did what was good and right in the eyes of the Lord. Verse 3, I want you to notice... These words that describe him throughout this chapter, he removed. Just underline the two words he removed. Verse 3, and he removed the altars of the foreign gods in the high place. There can never be a reviving without a removing. Removing is always the first step to getting on track. There is no turning to God without repentance. Without removing. And as soon as Asa saw what was in front of him that was wrong, he immediately stuck his hands into that situation and began to remove everything that was displeasing to the Lord. Now, if the Holy Spirit would come right now into your life and speak with you, what would he remove? What would he put his hand to? To take out of your life. And he removed the altars of the foreign gods. Verse 3. Notice, and the high places. What high places would we have in our lives? Now he gets a little bit aggressive. And he breaks down. He broke down the sacred pillars and cut down. The wooden images. What do you need to break down and cut down in your life? What is it that you need to get aggressive with? 
you, you must come to understand it. Don't, don't let this uh, surprise you. Don't, don't put this out of your mind as something that you can't understand. Remember this. The Holy Spirit cannot dwell in a life in power with his power where there's a lot of junk. He doesn't dwell with junk. Now, he has grace for junk. He has patience for our junk. But our junk is a problem for the Holy Spirit to dwell in. Just like it was on the land. At some point in your life, you have to get a hold of some things, break them down, cut them down, remove them, and get aggressive. Because they're against what God wants to do in your life. And so you have to get aggressive. It might be a mental thing. It might be a moral thing. It might be a flesh habit. It might be just a mindset. It might be a personality stronghold. It might be a little thing you always get away with or a big thing you get away with. It might be some things you let go of for a long time. It might be your, your loose tongue. It might be your, your loose mind. It might be uh, your lack of. It might be whatever it is. Would you have the, the desire to cut it down and break it down and get rid of it? Well, Asa did. Verse 4, and he commanded Judah, seek the Lord God of their fathers to observe the law and the commandment. Verse 5, he also removed the high places and incense altars from all the cities. This guy's pretty aggressive now. Verse 6, and he built fortified cities. Verse 7, let us build these cities and make walls. Now he's starting to rebuild and do some right things. Notice in verse 7, the last phrase, he built and prospered. He had a great army, verse 8, thousands and thousands of people on his side. And he came into a battle with the Ethiopians, verse 9, with a million people. They had a million warriors in their army. Can you even imagine a million people on a piece of ground coming at you, what that looks like? A million? It says right here in your Bible, an army of a million men, 300 chariots, And they came to Marishah up against Asa. That must have been an an awesome sight, enough to to scare anybody, to see a million men and 300 chariots all lined up, ready to attack. You're you're 300,000, maybe 500,000 that you have ready, and maybe 100 chariots. And, well, that's, uh, it just, it must have been breathtaking just to look at the odds that he was up against. Notice what he does. Verse 10, Asa went out against him and they set the troops in battle. Verse 11, this is one of the best prayers in all the Bible, in my estimation. You should use this for your life. I use it a lot. Lord, it is nothing for you to help, whether with many or with those who have no power. Help us, O Lord. For we rest on you and in your name, and we go against this multitude, O Lord. You are our God. Do not let man prevail against you. So the Lord struck the Ethiopians, but his prayer is so right on. Lord, it is nothing for you to help if you have a little bit to work with or a whole lot. Doesn't matter. You have all the power to help us. So we rest in what you're going to do in this situation. What a great prayer for you to pray over your job, over your home, over your kids, over your life. Lord, you can help us. Lord, you know, you can do anything with this situation and you can do it with a little bit or a whole lot. I don't know what's going to happen, but Lord, I rest. And that's what he's saying, Lord, I rest. So the Lord struck the Ethiopians. 
and they fell before him. Chapter 15 and verse 1, the Spirit of God came upon Azariah, the son of Oded, and when he came to meet Asa and said to him, Hear me, Asa, and all Judah and Benjamin. Another great famous phrase in the Bible right here in verse 2, The Lord is with you while you are with him. If you seek him, he will be found by you. If you forsake him, he will forsake you. Now, this is a prophet talking to him after the battle. And this prophet is trying to drive home a principle to Asa. But Asa, unfortunately, let it go at the end of his life. But at this point, he grabbed a hold of it. And as long as he held on to this principle, he prospered. When he let it go, he was annihilated. Here in this verse, the prophet comes in and says, Now, Asa, I want to get your attention right here on their way back from the battle. Now, listen to me. He's saying, listen to me. What just happened is not an accident. Do you understand that? Well, yes, the Lord was, was with us. And yes, now remember this, Asa. And this is a prophet prophesying to him with an insight to get his attention. As long as you are with the Lord, he's with you. And if you seek him, he will Always be found of you. So Asa is listening very carefully to this prophet. And then the prophet says, for a long time, Israel has been without a true God. Sounds like our nation, doesn't it? Without a teaching priest and without law. And when in their trouble, which we certainly have individually and nationally enough of this. And turned to the Lord God of Israel and sought him. He was found by them. And in those times, there was no peace to the one who went out and to the one who came in. Sounds like us. Great turmoil was on all the inhabitants of the land. Yes, exactly where we are right now. So nation was destroyed by nation. Yep. City by city. Yep. For God troubled them. Interesting. For God troubled them with every adversity. There couldn't be a clearer prophecy that I could give to America than that right there. America, if you're with me, I'm with you. If you leave me, I can't help you. But we'll, what will happen to you is, well, nation will rise against nation, be a lot of confusion, and cities will fall apart, and you'll have more adversity than you can handle, and more pestilence and famine. And I won't be able to stop them because you had broken my covenant, and you will dishonor my word I'll have to bring you back to your knees and humble you. And the humbling experience is going to be a tough one because that's what all the nations go through. But you don't have to go through that. That's what the prophet is pointing out to this man. I'm pointing this out to your life. On an individual basis, God has no favorites. God has no favorites. God favors the cross. God favors grace. God favors humility. God favors repentance. God resists the proud. God resists the foolish. God breaks down those who dishonor his law and his word. God honors truth. Those who do not honor it, he can't honor. Where's your life? If you would seek the Lord and follow what Azariah was trying to prophesy to this nation, if you would just believe this simple principle, when you're with him, He's with you, and if you seek him, you'll find him. Remember, every time you're in trouble, you turn to him. He hears you, and he helps. Why would you let trouble destroy you and never bend toward the Lord? Be strong, and do not let your hand be weak, for your work shall be rewarded. 
Verse 8, it's a very important verse. Look at verse 8. And when Asa heard these words, in my other Bible I have in my home office, I have written down every one of these principles throughout this chapter where I write all over my Bible. I have put down everything he did in this chapter. He restored, he revived, he removed, he opened, he commanded, he gathered. I put down everything that he did. And on this verse, I put down, he listened. He listened. Not all the kings listen. But when he listened to the prophecy, I can see Asa getting up from his throne. Or as he was coming back from the battle, maybe it was in the tent on their makeshift throne room. However, I see the prophet coming to him after the battle. I see Asa taking in the words, walking back and forth and listening very carefully. He's not an old man. He's a young man. I see Asa going back and forth, listening to the prophetic word. That's right. We just had this. God was with us. We had no chance against a million. God came in. Yes, God has done an awesome thing for us right here, right now. I'm listening to this prophet, and this prophet is telling me that our future is just like that battle, that if we would lean upon the Lord, the Lord would work for us. We will not have the trouble the other nations have. We will not have the pestilence and the famine and all the wars the other nations had. We will actually prosper. And he's thinking through all these things. And it says in verse 8, when he heard these words, he listened to the prophecy. Now look at it. And he took courage. He took courage. Which means his spirit was absorbed in this word. Yes, I believe this. That's right. God will honor this principle. I believe this. Yes, Lord. I am a leader and I'm going to do something about this. And as the prophetic word was coming forth and the exhortation, it says in verse 8, he took courage. And what did he do? He started removing more. Of the things that were in the land. Verse 9. He gathered all the people. In verse 12. He entered into a covenant. To seek the Lord. In verse 15. It says with all their heart. And all their soul. They sought the Lord. And he was found by them. And the Lord gave them rest. All around. Now. What happens here. Is that Asa has. An awakened heart. This is what an awakened heart is. It's a heart that's been shaken by the Holy Spirit into a new awareness of God's presence and new awakened spiritual passions. So Asa had an awakened heart. Other kings, their heart didn't wake up. But Asa's heart is awakened by the moving of the Holy Spirit, the remembrance of what some of the other good kings have done. And now he's awakened to the prophetic word. He's awakened to someone that is speaking as a mouthpiece for God. And his heart awakens. He says, I'll take courage and I'm going to do this. I'm actually going to follow the Lord with all my heart. I'm going to tear down everything that's wrong. I am going to go after it on every hillside, every high mountain. I'm even going to go in, which he did. He actually went into Israel and started messing with some of their high places and some of their idols and some of their altars. And it says later on, a great multitude of those from Israel left Israel and began to follow Asa. Why? Because he took courage. He realized the two houses should be together. That the Israelites were just like the Judaites. They should be following God. The man took courage. And he shook things up. Would you take courage in your life? Tear down the altars of Baal. 
That is, anything that you're worshiping and giving your passions to that are wrong. Would you take courage to go to the high places? Anything that has your focus that is higher than God is a high place. You got to get rid of it. Would you go in and take care of anything that is impure? Anything that is against God's word that you know. You don't have to be some kind of a deep theologian. No, you know. And your heart begins to awaken. And you simply say in your heart. Awaken Holy Spirit in me. And push me to do what is right. An awakened heart has a voice. Look at it. Psalm 27 verse 8. When you said seek my face. And this is what happened with Asa. My heart said, I want you to notice the phrase, my heart said. Does your heart talk to you? If it doesn't, it might be dead. Or it might be bound. Or it might be somehow shackled with too many other things that it can't speak to you. Asa had a heart to talk to him. When he heard the word, his heart said, yes. I will follow the word of that prophet. I will go up and I will do everything that is right. My heart said, your face, Lord, I will seek. Psalm 62, verse 8. Trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your heart. Something inside of me that's come alive. Reviving a seeking heart. This is what we're after right here, just like Asa. A seeking heart is what? This is what I'm after with us as a Congregation and as individuals, I'm hoping this will happen to every person. To seek is to search out passionately for something that is greatly valued and desired. Seek is to strive to reach, to ask, to beg, beseech, to have what is longed for. To seek is to go after something that's valuable. Do you value your walk with God? Go after it. Do you value a clean heart? Go after it. You value a clear conscience? Go after it. You value a deeper prayer life? Go after it. You value an encounter with God that will redirect your will and soften you toward the things of God? Then you have to go after it. You have to seek that. There's some removing. There's some tearing down when you do that. But as you go after it, your heart will begin to seek the Lord in a new way. Revive my heart to seek the Lord. Genesis speaks about this from the very beginning, about the heart of man being so wicked. But as it goes through the Bible, God gets a hold of the heart. And God has a hold of your heart and my heart. And we can do exactly what Asa did. In Second Chronicles 15 and verse 12, it says that he made a covenant. Will you make a covenant to seek the Lord? Will you make a covenant to revive your devotions? Would you make a covenant to dump out all your garbage and grab a hold of the grace of God and say, you know what? These are the best days of my life and I'm going to dig in. Asa made a covenant. I like this translation. Then they bound themselves in covenant to seek God, the God of their fathers wholeheartedly. What a great translation. Holding nothing back. Holding nothing back. Two phrases I want you to put down. It is time to seek God seriously, and it's time to seek God persistently. Two things. It's time to seek God seriously, and it's time to seek God persistently. When you seek God with covenant, that means you're committed. 
When you seek God with courage like Asa did, it means you remove things. When you seek God seriously, it means you put it into your lifestyle. And you focus on it. And you go after it. Seek God seriously. Hosea 10.12 said it is time to seek the Lord. It uses the phrase there in Hosea 10.12 where it says, break up your fallow ground. It is time to seek the Lord. Fallow ground is ground that has been plowed but became hard again. Like some of us. Hosea 10.12 says, seek the Lord. It's time to do it now. Plow up the ground that was plowed before, but you let it become hard. Plow it up again. To seek God persistently means you know how to endure and last. Matthew 7, 7 is that famous scripture you know, but it uses the verbs ask, seek, knock. That's persistence. Ask, seek, knock. Seek God with intensity and with persistence. Do not give up on your prayer. Prayer is more a station of the will than it is of the emotions. To pray persistently means you endure, you don't give up. Remember the parable in Luke 18 where Jesus says, men ought always to pray and never lose heart. Wow. Then he gives the parable about the judge and the widow that would never give up on the judge and the judge finally gave in. And Jesus says, this is a model of prayer. Don't lose heart. Have you lost heart on some of the things you're praying about that nothing has happened? I understand timing and delay and sometimes even no. Sometimes no is still not a no in the future. It might be a no for now. But you persist and you pray and you endure. Men ought always to pray and not let go and not give up too soon. When you look at all the great people, that have achieved awesome things in their lives. There's one thing that really holds out very true. George Mueller, the great orphanage builder, Andrew Murray, the great South African uh, teacher and, and builder of the kingdom of God and writer, were all encouraged and inspired by him. And Martin Luther, the great reformer, and, and Oswald Chambers, if you've not read his stuff, I mean, it's, it's like Bible. It's just, it's amazing. Ian Bounds, all of his stuff on prayer. These are famous men that achieved so much in their life, and they left a deposit behind them for us to read about some of their insights. Well, here's one of the things about them that stands out very, very clearly. Persistence. They were stubborn in the kingdom of God. They would not give up. They would go much further than anybody else by 100,000 miles, so to speak, in the kingdom of God. Where other people would stop at mile 10 or mile 100 or mile 1,000, they would never stop. Even at mile 100,000, they would not give up on things. George Mueller says it's not enough to begin to pray, nor to pray right, nor is it enough to continue for a time to pray. But we must pray patiently, believing, continuing in prayer until we obtain an answer. Andrew Murray, one of the mysteries of divine life is the harmony between, this is a real insight in my estimation, the harmony between the gradual and the sudden. The immediate and yet the full possession of the slow. 
as we appropriate those things in God. Why? Because the gradual is that daily thing we do, never giving up. And then as God begins to pile things together and direct his kingdom, suddenly things happen. We think sometimes suddenly just comes out of nowhere, but suddenly is built on graduals. Suddenly is built on daily disciplines and routines. Suddenly is built on that continual pressing and knock. You know, I might want to fix my golf game and I'll go out and chip 10 times, 20 times, you know, and and try to get the right move and teach myself or maybe have someone tell me. But the professionals will go out with one club. Tiger Woods was talking about his one chipping club that he was practicing with where he chipped 3,600 times with a person helping him look at the chip. Now, I can't even fathom hitting the ball 3,000 times to try to fix it. If I'm as good as him, I'll take what I can do, which ain't going to happen. But the persistence of a professional is what makes them different than the non-professional. A winner, sometimes the only difference is not the talent. It's the discipline. It's the gradual. It's the everyday honing in that gift. You want an encounter with God? I'll give you a clue. It's not suddenly going to happen. It is going to happen built on the gradual. And then suddenly... One day when you're doing one of your 100 or 500 prayer devotions, God shows up in a miraculous, unbelievable way and drops something on your life. And you share it with people and they think, that's what devotion is all about. No, you should have been there for the other 500 graduals, the other 500 routines. Life is built on this principle of prayer. If you learn the discipline of the gradual, You'll enjoy the surprise of the supernatural. You'll enjoy the surprise of a breakthrough. You'll enjoy the surprise of a quickened word. I learned a long time ago with pastoring that you don't try to get a sermon on Saturday night. You don't try to get a sermon the week of it. You don't try to get a revelation or a quickening because it's something that you can't press. You can't make it happen. I learned a long time ago, you have to be doing it every day. And every time God breaks in on me and does something, I write it down and keep it. And those graduals are placed in a little place over here so that I can go back to them. And then one day, a sudden thing comes where three or four of the graduals come into play. And I have this particular revelation that's going to be used six months from now. But it comes out of the discipline of the norm, the routine, and the graduals that make in to the revelations. You don't just go from revelation to revelation. You go from boring to boring, from work to work, from grind to grind. If you knew how many times I sat in my office and folded my arms and tilt back on my chair and said out loud, God, for the people's sake. Is there a God in heaven? There's a man on earth. If you knew how many times I could sit by the hours trying to get the mind of God on a situation 
It's a gradual. It's not the sudden. Our world is ruled by fast food sudden. Everything's fast. Everything's got to be so fast. The phone faster. Everything's faster, faster. God is not moved by our technology. We might be going fast, but God has his own speed. And you can't push him. You can't twist him. And you can't talk him into it. You can't threaten him. You can't change him. He does things according to his time. So you might as well relax and learn how to pray every day for his time. Can I hear an amen? Amen. All right. I'd like you to go to Isaiah chapter 64. And I want you to mark Isaiah 64 in your Bible. Would you do that? Isaiah chapter 64. All right. Now, Isaiah chapter 64. Oh, that you would rend the heaven. Now, this is a great prayer that you would come down. Then it goes through and it gives several things that happens when there's a breakthrough in the heavenlies, which is really speaking about open heavens and God coming into our life, that he comes down. When he comes down, things begin to happen. Would you write down, and we'll put them all up at one time so you can write these down because I want to pray with you right now. Would you write down these seven things so you can pray through them this coming week and as you do the prayer card and as you go through your own prayer life? Here are seven things that come out of this Isaiah chapter 64 scripture that the mountains might shake at your presence as fire burns brushwood, as fire causes water to boil, to make your name known to your adversaries, that the nations may tremble at your presence. When you did awesome things for which we did not look, you came down, the mountains shook at your presence. For since the beginning of the world, men have not heard nor perceived by the ear, nor has I seen any God besides you who acts for the one who waits for him. There are seven things in this verse that I want you to put down. One, Pray the impossible is removed. Two, pray all spiritual dead wood is removed. Three, pray that spiritual passions will be restored. Four, pray that all spiritual attack will be resisted. Five, pray that all people groups will be reached. Six, pray for unexpected miracles to be received. Awesome things are done. And seven, pray and believe that intercessory prayer is rewarded. Acts for the one who waits on him. Seven things that happens when we move into a little deeper prayer life. Brushwood burned up. Some dead wood in your life? Come on, let the fire of the Holy Spirit burn it up. Some lack of passion? Come on, let the Holy Spirit come in and boil your water. Lack of Resist an enemy? Come on. Believe that the name of the Lord can resist any adversary. Stand your ground and begin to proclaim the blood of Jesus and the name of the Lord and be the kind of person who invites the enemy to attack the Lord, not you. He is your fighter. Invite the miracles into your life. Receive awesome things done. It sounds like a verse in Corinthians, does it not? Eye has not seen, ear has not heard. Might have come from here. Since Paul was an Isaiah scholar, did you know Paul quoted more from Isaiah than any other prophet? And so this verse 
Maybe with that New Testament verse that the apostle draws on and says, I has not seen, ear has not heard for all the things prepared for you. The mind cannot conceive. Would you believe that God has just awesome things prepared for you? That God is at work in your life right now. That God is greater than all the millions that are coming against you. It's not anything different for the Lord to save with a little bit or a whole lot. He, he can move in your life if you have $1 or $1 million. He can move in your life if you have one bill or a hundred bills. He can move in your life if you have one habit or a million bad habits. He can move. God is not restrained by what you think he's restrained at. He is God and he's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that you ask or even imagine to be true. Rest in the Lord and believe God.